0: Well, amen. Good morning. morning. It's good to be here. Uh, I'm thankful that I was asked to be here with you on this Lord's Day as we gather together as one body and sit at the feet of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to hear His Word for us today. This morning, we'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. So turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. And as you're turning there, keep in mind what was said in the previous section of this chapter, the earlier portion that That famous passage where Paul teaches on salvation by grace through faith. The Apostle Paul has given us a a great explanation of the power of the gospel in the lives of believers. He's, He's shown that we were once dead in sin and he is... Shown what God has done for us in redeeming us as His people. And He's shown us that we are now new creations in Christ Jesus. And it's on that last point, that point that we are new creations in Christ, that Paul explains further. In this latter half of Ephesians 2, he, he explains what it means to be a new man in Christ. So keep that in mind as we approach the word of the Lord today. Hear now the reading of the word from Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in His flesh the enmity that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Thus far, the reading of God's word, let us ask that he add a blessing to it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day that you have given us, this one day in seven that you have set aside for the public worship of you. How you have gathered us together as one body, the church. And how you have ushered us into your throne room of grace. And now we sit at the feet of Christ Jesus to hear what he has for us today. So, Lord, we ask that you would add a blessing to the reading of the word. We ask now that you would add a blessing to the preaching of the word. Lord, we ask that you would add a blessing to the hearing of the word. Open up our ears, open up our hearts, open up our eyes to receive this word that you have prepared for us this day. We ask these things in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Most of you here are old enough to remember the tragic events of September 11th, 2001. Now, I was in third grade when that happened, and I can recall those events with almost perfect clarity. I remember where I was. I remember what I was doing. I had just entered into the library at my elementary school, and the librarian turned on the TV and switched it to the news channel. And she was talking about there being some kind of accident in New York. But as a third grader, I really didn't care about what was going on. I was simply interested in getting the next Goosebumps book so that I could enjoy myself. But as I sat there and I I looked at that TV, the unthinkable happened. As we were sitting there watching it, a second plane flew into the World Trade Center. And at that point, even I, a third grader, knew that something wasn't right. Teachers began scrambling around saying that we were under attack. They were making claims that we were going to go to war because of what had happened. And all of this stands out vividly in my recollection of those events nearly 20 years ago. but there's something else that stands out about those events and it's interesting that it stands out because it's it's not the tragedy it's the response to it there was a commercial that aired on several television stations throughout the nation which featured people from multiple different ethnicities multiple different Cultures who all looked different and sounded different from one another, but they all had the same message. As their faces would come onto the screen, each one would look intently into the camera and utter the single phrase I am an American. All across our nation, there was this sense of solidarity, this sense of unity. We all had our differences, but we put our differences aside because now we as a nation had been collectively attacked. We had a common enemy and we had a common goal. But that sense of solidarity, that sense of unity wasn't very lasting. Quickly, we became a divided people again. Hatred and and racism and prejudices came back to the forefront. And this sense of us versus them was no longer aimed at a common enemy. Instead, it was aimed at one another. And we're still seeing this today. Everything about our culture seeks to divide people along various lines, whether it be political, racial, socioeconomic, religious, whatever the factor may be, our culture seeks to use it to create division, to form a dividing wall between us. And this same type of division that we're seeing today was taking place in Ephesus at the time Paul was writing this letter. The Jews were looking down upon Gentiles as though somehow they were in a higher standing. The ones who were converted out of the covenant people of God were separating themselves from those who were converted out of paganism all because they had differences in practice the ephesians much like modern day americans were a divided people but what paul says here in this passage is that this is no longer true of us who are believers in Christ. He builds upon what he said in the the previous half of this chapter, where he talks about us being a new man created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And in this portion of the text, he goes on to explain what is found in being that new man in Christ. When believers are brought from death to life and made new in Christ, we find our identity, our unity and our authority. And those are the three things that we will be looking at in our passage today, that in Christ, we find our identity, our unity, and our authority. And we're living in a time in which identity is everything. We're identified by our nationality. We're identified by our Region of the country that we are from. We are identified by our ethnicity. We're even identified by our sexuality. But these things are what the world defines us by. What does the Word of God tell us about our identity now that we are new creations? Well, let's look back at our passage. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ being aliens From the Commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Here, Paul is giving us a brief overview of who we were while we were dead in our sins. And did you catch the identity language that's being used there? Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. Paul's using language that those original to this letter, originally hearing this letter, would have been familiar with. The church in Ephesus was made up of primarily Gentile converts. And these were people who had previously been ostracized by the Jews for their upbringing and their culture. These people were not part of the people of God. They were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This description, the, the identity that signified who they were, was very real, it was very accurate, and it was very serious. Since they were not of the people of God, they were cut off from the blessings that the Lord had given to the nation of Israel. They didn't partake of the ceremonies of the Old Covenant. They were not of the people for whom the sacrifices were offered. They were truly strangers from the covenants of promise because they were completely outside of the covenant. They had no hope of salvation because salvation is only found within the covenant promises of God. In fact, they were without God. Paul is calling to mind their miserable state in times past before they came to Christ. But this isn't just true of the Gentiles in first century Ephesus. This was true of us as well prior to our coming to Christ. We We're outsiders. We were enemies of the Lord. We were without any hope because we were cut off from the covenant promises. We were in just as miserable a state as these Gentiles were. But we know that that's not where the story ends. We know based on what Paul has already said earlier in this chapter that the story doesn't end with our being dead in sin. Our identity is no longer that of the uncircumcision who were separated from the people of God. In this radical transformation, in this creation of the new man, we find our new identity. Paul continues on and he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Did you catch that? Did you catch the language of our new identity? We are no longer Jew or Gentile. We are no longer American, Canadian, African, British. We are no longer white, black, Asian, Latino. No, we are now in Christ. We're now Christians. We who were far off have been brought near. Now this harkens back to the Abrahamic covenant promise that was given by God that through Abraham, all the nations would be blessed. We are the nation. We are no longer strangers from the covenant promises because the promise is to us and to our children and to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. We are the ones who were far off that the Lord called unto himself. And we are now part of the people of God because we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is such an amazing truth. The reality that our new identity is found in Christ. And that new identity. It does something incredible within us and incredible among us. Because in Christ, not only do we find our identity, but we find our unity. Look back at our passage beginning in verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and And has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who are near. It's in Christ, our peace that the Jew and the Gentile and and consequently every other dividing factor has been made together as one. We are all together united in Christ part of one body which is the church. He's Broken down the middle wall of separation, and everything that separated us has been destroyed. Everything that divided us has been erased. We find our unity in Christ, and nothing ought to cause division and disunity and conflict between us. Not even the law of commandments contained in ordinances can divide us. For in Christ's atoning sacrifice, he fulfills the ceremonies, the obligations of the old covenant and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. This, this is the power of the gospel. By his death, Christ has united all his people and has put an end to prejudices, to hatred, to enmity, to strife. Christ, the Prince of Peace, preached peace both in his earthly ministry and also to us in our present age so that we may be brought together as one body, united In him. What a glorious reality that is. But oftentimes I find myself wondering why this doesn't seem to be the case. If you turn on the news, you'll see division and enmity and strife put on display. The world around us seems to be full of partisanship and racism and conflict. Why is this so? Well, the easy answer is because the world is stuck in that who we were phase. The world is still dead in sin. The world still walks according to the prince of the power of the air. They are still children of disobedience. In a sense, the world still sees that wall of separation between us. It still sees the division of nationality and race. So it ought to be no surprise that we see all of this happening in the world around us. It's who they are. They are dead in sin. But it's not just in the world that we see a lack of unity. It may be hard for us to hear but the reality is we as the church are failing at showing the unifying nature of the gospel. Every day I see and hear Christians promoting the same divisive rhetoric and thought that the world is promoting. Social media is the worst at Putting this on display. It's commonplace to see Christians posting some of the most partisan, nationalistic, divisive content. But it's not just an individual thing. The divisive nature, this divisive nature, has begun to plague the church. As a corporate body. There are white churches and black churches and Asian churches and Hispanic churches. And they all are under the banner of reformed Christianity. There's a real lack of unity among those who hold forth the banner of Christ. Our prayer ought to be that of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he prayed that we would be one, even as he and the Father are one. And this can only be done when we truly see the power of the gospel uniting us as one body. We'll continue to see enmity around us in this world as long as the message of the cross is not proclaimed and the heart of man is not changed. We will continue to see the church splintered until we recognize the unifying nature of the gospel. Christians, this ought to be our prayer that we embrace who we are in Christ and that we come together in unity with those who are our kinsmen in Christ. But not only do we find our identity in Christ and not only is it in Christ that we find our unity, but it's also in Christ that we find our authority. Let's continue on in our passage. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. It's through the authority of Christ who by his blood has broken down the wall of separation between us and not just between us, but between us and the holiness of God that we now have access to the Father by the Spirit. Previously, the people of God relied upon the intercession of priests to perform the sacrifice on behalf of the people and to enter into the Holy of Holies before the face of God and to make make petitions for the people. But Christ, who is our great high priest, offered himself as the final sacrifice once and for all on behalf of his people, so that now all those who are united to him can enter into the throne room of grace. We make our petitions known to the Father through the intercession of the Son. We plead for forgiveness by the Father through the mediation of the Son. We enter into worship because of who Christ is. And we do all of this by the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. Isn't it amazing to see how our triune God works in the lives of his people? We no longer rely upon the types and shadows, the ceremonies and rituals of the Old Covenant because we have the fullness of their substance, which is Christ Jesus Himself. We no longer have to concern ourselves with the court of the Jews or the court of the Gentiles. We no longer have to rely upon a mere sinful man to represent us before the Lord, we have access to the Father because of the authority that is found in Christ Jesus. And we are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God in Christ. We are now the children of God, and we are granted all the benefits of sonship. But that's not all. Paul goes on and he says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. This is that authority, that foundation that we find in Christ. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. It's another way of saying that we are built on the foundation of the word of God. Outside of Scripture, there is No authority, our foundation, everything upon which our lives are built is the holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible word of the living God. And it's not just that, but Christ Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. This is something that we're all aware of, but sometimes we lose sight of the importance of this doctrine. We all know how buildings work. The first thing that's laid when building a new structure is the foundation. This foundation must be strong. It must be sure because if it's not, then there will be a catastrophic disaster that will result in that building toppling over. But we know that our foundation is strong, our authority is sure. Because it is the word of the living God upon which we are built. And not just that, but the cornerstone of that foundation is the living God himself in the God man, Jesus Christ. Historically, cornerstones were viewed as the most important part of a building. It's the most solid, firm piece of the structure upon which the structure was built and and the weight of the building was resting upon that cornerstone. And that's who Christ is for us. He's our support. He's our sure and steady rock. He's our cornerstone. And it's in Him the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. This is what we are being built into. We are a holy Temple of the Lord. Now this ought to bring us back to the imagery of the temple in Israel. It it ought to call to mind what the temple meant for that people as a nation. Not only was it a place for worship where the sacrifices were made, but it was also a physical Symbol for all to see of the separate nature of the people of God. And this is who we are in Christ. We are a physical representation for all to see of the calling out of God's people in this world. But more than that, the temple is the dwelling place of God among his people. This aspect of the temple is one of the most important features because the temple was where the people would meet with and experience God in a special sense. And it was also where his Presence dwelt in a special way. This testified to the peculiar nature of the nation of Israel and the centralized nature of the faith. But this is all intended to point forward to a greater reality, which was to come. Paul tells us that this is now true of us. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We truly have the living god the creator and sustainer of all creation inhabiting us now this isn't to say that the old testament saints didn't have the indwelling of the holy spirit they most certainly did but there is in some sense a special habitation within believers today that was particular to the temple of old. Just as the Shekinah glory of the Lord rested upon the temple in Jerusalem, so now it rests upon those who are in Christ Jesus. This is because we are the holy temple of God. We have the spirit of our high priest residing within us. The one who continues to make intercession on behalf of his people has given us the gift of his spirit to dwell within us. And this is because of who we now are. Because we have been given a new identity in Christ, because we are united together in him because he is our chief cornerstone and we are a temple, a dwelling place for the most high God. This is the reality of who you are now. So what does all of this mean for us in our present age? How do we take these truths and utilize them for the kingdom of God? That's what we're to do with the gifts that the Lord has given us after all. Well, brothers and sisters, as we live in these trying times, as, as the world around us tries to force division among us, telling us who we are, telling us what to do, telling us what to think, remember the reality of who you are in Christ. We are no longer the old man with our identity in the externals of the world. We are a new creation with our identity found in Christ. We are no longer divided by external realities like party or nationality or race, but we're now united in Christ as one body, and all enmity has been slain in Him. We are no longer to find our authority in princes or rulers or the things of this world, but our authority is Christ. Christ Jesus Himself who is our chief cornerstone and who has built us up together as a holy temple, a habitation of the Most High God. If we embrace these truths, if we fully realize the power of this transformation, we will see it affect the world around us. The Lord will use us as instruments in his hands to affect change. We are given this gift to proclaim these truths to others. Do not be silent. Do not be Let your words and your actions be the means by which the gospel of Jesus Christ goes forth to all peoples. And take refuge in the fact that it's not our doing that can change the heart. But the sovereign king of the universe. Can because he is the one who will call people from far off to come near to him, just as he did with us. Let us pray, Holy Father God. We are amazed. At the works of your hands. We're amazed that you have created all things. And sustained all things. And preserved us to this point. We're amazed that you chose us. Vile sinners though we were. And you have separated us. Purchased us by the blood of your son. And sealed us with the Holy Spirit to be yours. And now we are no longer dead in our sins and trespasses, but we are alive in Christ Jesus. We give you thanks for that. We're amazed that you have taken us Wretched sinners and have given us a new identity that we are no longer enemies of God, but we are now children of God. That our identity, our true selves are found in Christ Jesus. We thank you that there is no longer division that separates us from. As the world tells us there is, we thank you that you have brought all people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have brought them together and made them one in Christ. Lord, we ask that you would have your spirit to prick our consciences, that we would examine ourselves And see if there is division among us. Lord, let it not be so. Let us cling to one another as one body united in Christ. And let us be built up together as that one body into a holy habitation of the Most High God. A temple where the Shekinah glory of the Lord radiates from among us as a as a shining light, as a as a city on a hill drawing the nations unto you. Lord use us as instruments in your hands to bring about change in this lost and dying world. Father, as we prepare to go forth throughout the rest of this day and throughout this week, we ask that you would implant these truths into our hearts. Let us meditate on them and see the reality of who we are in Christ Jesus. And let it change how we go about our daily lives. Because we are no longer the new man. We are a new creation. And we thank you and praise you for that change that you have wrought in us. We ask all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Zion's only king and head. Amen.